Yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect to, to feel any sort of kinship with him. When we were doing this episode, that a guy, a cool guy, kind of picked me up and, and, and threw me out of like a Halloween party or something. It was a long time ago, I don't really remember. But I remember it really, it struck a chord in me, like being bullied like that. Okay, we're gonna, this character and I are gonna share some heartstrings. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Veridesk. Veridesk makes office furniture simple. Seriously, their height adjustable standing desk is one of my favorites and something I use every day in my video production business, especially when I'm editing. It was really the first step to create a happier, healthier me and a more productive workspace. Today, Veridesk has a full line of furniture and accessories for the office and the classroom that are easy to order, assemble, and reconfigure as your needs change. Ready to work elevated? Go to veridesk.com forward slash behind the brand to learn more. Now let's get into our episode. Hey, I'm Brian Elliott. Welcome to another edition of Behind the Brand. Today I'm here with the one and only Johnny Galecki. Johnny, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I usually ask my guests, how'd you get this job? Uh, that's a difficult question. I started talking about acting when I was three years old. It was just that answer that I had when, you know, every, every kid is asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, and, well, it was an actor or witch, uh, one of the two. <laughs> I hope I made the right career choice. I think I may have. Um, How'd that go with your parents? They were confused. I mean, it wasn't, my parents were always very supportive, but that's an odd ambition for this weird young kid. And so they tried to get me into t-ball and soccer and hockey and stuff like that. Um, but I was very, very stubborn about it. And then I think it was like five or six when I saw The Champ with Ricky Schroeder. And I realized I don't have to wait until I grow up. I want to, I want to do this right now. But I, I mean, there was no one in the immediately, immediate family that was in theater. We didn't have the money to go see theater. I really don't know how I even knew what acting was. Never mind that that was what my passion was. I'm very, very lucky. I feel very fortunate. I see people in their 30s, 40s still struggling with what their passion is. I just kind of, I really knew it. I had an immediate answer for it. And I don't even know how the word was in my, my lexicon. Yeah, I was just thinking, so you started in Chicago and you started maybe in theater, but then you had to make your way probably out to LA or New York, yeah? To Los Angeles, and that was really, it wasn't necessarily a goal. Um, I, th I think I was nine years old, and I was doing a production of Member of the Wedding. Uh, I was playing John Henry, and I was nominated for a Joseph Jefferson citation, which is kind of Chicago's much smaller equivalent of the Tonys. And someone at the Tribune um, looked that up, and, and, I, and I, was the, I had been the youngest ever nominated. I'm sure that's changed between now and then, or then and now. Um, and then agents started coming to the to this little 99-seat theater. Um, then it became a little bit of a bigger, it was just more response. All of a sudden, my parents had to drive me to auditions and stuff like that. It was never them pressuring me, um, but I just kept eating up the opportunities and, and loving it. I loved it so much that when I would get a role in a play, the first thing I would do is run to the calendar in the hopes that my birthday landed on a performance night. Like, there was no better way that I want, you know, to spend my birthday even as a kid. Um, so running tapes you know, the, through the agency to Los Angeles, I ended up doing a pilot here when I was 11. And then um, eventually a Christmas vacation, when they flew me out after seeing a, a tape uh, to read with Chevy Chase. And I've pretty much been out here ever since. 
I like to think about archetypes. You know, um, I read this book once where it compared like you know the old time old timey actors to the new timey actors, and it's fascinating to mm -hmm. me that there's archetypes, people that you know. Uh, who are no longer on, on TV or in, in movies, and then someone steps in and takes their place. Like, I think hmm. the comparison was like, you know, Errol Flynn, you know, now that he's gone, like George Clooney stepped up and he's the new Errol Flynn, or, you know, right. whatever that comparison is. What types of roles were you getting as a kid? Were you beginning to be typecast, or was there a certain, like, personality or archetype that you were gravitating towards? I mean, I had my heroes and still do. I think they were the everyman. You know, it wasn't, I didn't, uh, I mean, I revered Harrison Ford as Han Solo and, and Indiana Jones, but I, I, I really wanted to emulate Dustin Hoffman and Jack Lemmon. And, um, and I didn't necessarily, I didn't have a lot of interest in being the hero that everybody wanted to be. I wanted to be the guy that everyone already felt like and related to. Yeah. Uh, I think that still resonates in the choices that I make. Super insightful, even, I mean, and especially a young age. I mean, that, how, did you, how did you get there? I mean, were there people trying to push you in certain directions? I'm always curious about the path. I think it had a lot to do with the, the there's a great community in, the, in Chicago theater that's very selfless. Um, you know, you would think that one theater across the street from another would be very competitive with one another, but we all understood that if people go out and see a play and it's great, they're going to say, that was fun, let's do that again next weekend. It helped the community. So you know, there's a lot of actors and directors and writers in Chicago going, meeting at the bar afterwards to give each other notes, even if they're not, you know, it's in the competing play across the street or down the road. It just felt like this is all for the greater good of what we're all trying to accomplish, which is storytelling as much as we can to as many people as we can, because the audience is really what makes it real. I mean, that's when something's done. There's no such thing as a final rehearsal or a final yeah. draft of a script. It's, it's finished when you share it, you know? Um, so the more of that that we could do, it was just always support. So it was never about being in the spotlight. It was about, you know, whatever role. I don't care if it's two lines or if, I, if my back is to the crowd. Like, you know, what, let's, however we can tell the best story and people can not even necessarily enjoy it. You know, they didn't have to like uh, leave with a smile on their face. Let's start conversation and um, give give something, to, give people something to talk about afterwards. In this shared experience that we've that we've all had in the in that theater, all the almost all the theaters I worked at in Chicago, um, we would do an anonymous vote of whether or not it should be videotaped. One of the performances should be, and I've never done a production where one was. It was just, there was something about the respect of, of it be, every, that experience should remain in that room. And if you missed it, you missed it. Yeah, it just evaporates into the ether. It's shared by those that were present, and that's, that should be it. That's super cool. Um, did, you, did you take acting classes? How did you get prepared? I mean, uh, this is a little bit flattery, but I really mean it sincerely. Like, you have depth, dude. Like, oh, thank you. I mean, if someone, like someone who's a lot younger coming in and just jumping into like say Big Bang Theory or something mm -hmm. and just sees you, they'll be impressed. But like even beyond that, you can tell like you have depth. 
Well, I don't have height, so I'm <laughs> glad I have depth. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, so, how about, so my question really is leading up to, like, how did you get there? It's, I mean, it sounds like, and I'm answering my own question a little bit, like you just went to the School of Hard Knocks. You did theater productions. You, you worked hard. But did you do acting classes? I didn't. Um, my parents and I talked about it a little bit for a time when the agents started rolling around, and I think maybe they suggested they had classes. Or, um, but I, 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 we felt like if I was working, and I was working with great people, and I was absorbing, you know, kids are sponges, um, and what was the point of subscribing to one teacher's design of how to go about it? And I still, I'm still learning. Uh, I've, I've, it's this ever-evolving amalgamation of, of a process that I'll, I'll steal from little bits from certain actors um, or certain schools. Uh, but I try not to put in the, I've tried to read, I didn't even read any acting books until I was playing an actor <laughs> in a play that I was doing at Steppenwolf in Chicago. And so I read an actor prepares and some books like that. Oh, they ruined me. They really gave me more phobia than I'd ever had. Yeah, I'd never thought of that before. Right, <laughs> just instilled all these new phobias in me. I thought, oh, just leave it, leave, leave it alone, and just, you know, keep working. If I went for a stint without working and felt like it, you know, I, I needed a place to continue to hone my craft, then I certainly would. I don't have anything against it. But I've been really fortunate enough to work consistently with some great people. I think even, I mean, even when you're not working with great people, it's a great opportunity to learn what not to do. Yeah, I think that's really excellent advice, and maybe it's subtle. Uh, you know, I love people who watch this show. They're entrepreneurs, or they're running their own business, or maybe they're aspiring actors. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but what you just said is really, really important, and that is, it sounds like you followed your gut. It sounds like you followed intuition. Yeah. And it took you on a really, really good path. It was your true north. Well, I can't take a lot of credit for that, because I was so young. And people say, how did you have the courage to do that at seven or eight or 14 when I moved out here. Ignorance is bliss. Like I wouldn't have done it at, probably at 27. I wouldn't have had the nerve. So I, I'm very, very lucky that way. But I learned from it too. I, I, I don't, um, I find the best way to learn how to do something is to do it. Don't read a book about how to build a house. Yeah. Try to build a fucking house. The first few will fall down, but it's the best way to learn. I love that. There's a lot there I want to unpack on making mistakes. I want to go back and also maybe credit you with what Picasso said. Picasso said, you know, we're all born artists. Mm -hmm. And the challenge is not to, you know, as we grow up, forget that. Right. And it kind of sounds like you benefited from, you know, sort of staying in that zone. You know, you, all kids are creative, right? All adults are creative. Mm -hmm. Just sometimes the world, society, what's in our head, you know, convinces us that we shouldn't go a certain way. You have or, to follow a traditional path. Or, yeah. yeah. Which is maybe where you, you, you know, stuck your toe in the water with the books and you realized, no, no, no. Yeah, is this is messing me up more than anything. Yeah. yeah, which is a really good lesson, I think, for everyone else. And then the other thing is mistakes. Because I hear a lot from either people on the show or just you know, fans of the show, people will say stuff like, well, failure is not an option. Right. Which is, I think, a good sentiment when you don't want to quit or give, give up. Mm. But it's sort of a false statement because failure has to be an option. It's unavoidable. It's an inevitability. So you have the choice to beat yourself up about it or to see it as an opportunity. 
and it's uh, a wonderful opportunity. Uh, how, you're not going to learn otherwise, and, or you're certainly not going to appreciate the lesson. What failures can you think about, if there's any that stand out in your mind? And, and I ask that with context to say, we have to get it wrong before we get it right, mm-hmm. right? And this idea that we, we fail fast, we get to keep trying, this iteration process is, you know, call it honing your craft or uh, paying your dues or whatever it takes, but you, we have to fail to get things right. So where did it go wrong before you got it right? Can you think of any like epic failures you had to learn from? Um, well, I think you touched on something interesting that, that's pretty rampant in, in acting, which is, you know, I forget the word that you used, but you, how, how uh, Clooney kind of replaced whatever. The archetype. Uh, yeah, the archetype. I think we try to follow those paths of our heroes, but uh, one, they've already done it so well. <laughs> and two, um, then it's just you're pretending to be someone else and, and um, to, process, to suppress your, your own true light seems to be a ripoff to, to, uh, to others. So, I mean, you can't help but be influenced by the people that you admire. I think that's great. But, um, but it, your drive has to be you. Yeah, and I have a feeling, although there's no uh, hard science on this statement, but I think a lot of you know, people who are falling into archetypes, that's coaching from maybe a manager or the studio heads. Sure that don't want to take any more risk. They're like, you know what? We've done Fast and Furious once. Let's do it 12 more it's times. The same, it's the same people that'll stereotype you. Yeah. Because it makes their job easier. It's not yeah. necessarily the audience. I mean, my favorite, like, you know, Dustin Hoffman, again, is a great example. Like, that one-two punch of The Graduate and then Midnight Cowboy, like, I want to see what he's going to do next. That's exciting to, to me, you know? That kind of diversity of... of, of Choice and character and, and skill and uh, you know where you someone who an artist who's unpredictable like that that's what that's that's what I've always strived to be. And to play the other side of the coin, I mean Tom Hanks, you could argue is is the new Jimmy Stewart. Sure. Right. And and he's done he's made it his own, of course. He is you know one of my favorite actors as well. He's yeah. one of these icons, but also um, you could see a lot of familiarity in in the way that he does stuff. I wonder if that's by design or not. I mean, there, that, you know, I think people fill those, those characters of storytelling that are, are similar. I mean, it's, we, cut, we recycle a lot of the same wonderful, wonderful stories over and over again with different slants, with different angles and different ways. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's gotta be somebody to, you know, actors and, and actresses that, to, that fit into those, that, those roles to tell that story. Can you talk about rejection a little bit? You know, so I would imagine a lot. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine like you've got to get really good at rejection. Mm. Um, talk about that a little bit. You know, are you good at rejection now, having gone through it? And maybe give some words of wisdom to other people who, you know, whether that's rolling up on uh, someone that's out of your league, mm. you know, for uh, you asking out on a date or you have a relationship, or if it's trying to get that next job you don't feel worthy for. Like, how do you handle rejection? Um, again, I thank the Chicago theater community for that because I don't have a lot of competitiveness. I'll go into an audition room and p- 
pitch another actor who I think will be really good for the role that I'm reading. And my agent or manager, it took me two weeks to get you into that room. Like, what are you doing? You pitch another actor and we don't even represent him. Like, uh, so, and, and I'll often, like, exa- for example, um, the primal fear, uh, I'm the actor's name, he's, uh, he's a hero, Edward Norton. Um, I wanted that role so badly, and I saw his performance in it, and I thought, oh, thank God I didn't do it. I was not up to the task. I don't know if I am right now, but 20 years ago, or whenever that was, he was just so brilliant. Um, I, I, I see, I mean, you, you just have to, you have to roll with the rejection, and, you know, learn from it at times, but always consider the source. You know, you can't beat yourself up too much unless it's really somebody you admire. Or, or here's, I, I think when they were casting for Saving Private Ryan, and um, I went into reading, you know, I thought, oh, this, I'm, yeah, I'd probably end up with some role in this. There's like 13 roles that I would be appropriate for. And I heard that Steven Spielberg uh, didn't watch my tape because he knew already that he didn't like me and my work. And I thought, Steven Spielberg knows who I am. <laughs> that was my reaction to it. Yes. Like, the fact that I had even was ever part of his decision-making process, even though the decision or the result was a negative one, I was still like, kind of thrilled by it. It was a good day. You Silver just kind of have to, yeah, to turn it around. And, um, it, you know, something interesting, I think, about growing up in the Midwest, and I don't want to be too geographically specific, because I'm sure it happens everywhere, but I think it is kind of rampant in the Midwest, is, um, you know, the worst thing you can be is a show-off or what they call a hot dog or, you know, think too much of yourself. That's a really dangerous thing to instill when you end up in an occupation where confidence is so much of the game. I still struggle with that a lot uh, internally, so I kind of try to ignore the outside judgment. Super good advice. Thank you. I'm Super trying advice. over here, man. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> um, yeah, especially in this day of social media, we can really start measuring the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, likes and followers and all that yeah. BS. Um, it just doesn't matter. No, nope. it doesn't give you happiness. I love that. Um, I want to let's fast forward a little bit and talk uh, about more of the projects that you are really proud of and had a lot of fun with. I want to hear a couple stories. Okay. Uh, so we're flash forwarding uh, from theater now to maybe TV. Sure. Um, talk about some, some of the projects you're proud of and you have good memories of. I don't have many bad memories of, uh, and maybe it's because if you couldn't tell, I'm a pretty optimistic person or I like to turn things on, on their side at least um, so that they're, they serve better. Um, but, I mean, I, I've, I've been really lucky. In the, the live studio audience world, obviously, that's my background. Um, and obviously, the way that I've been continuing to learn uh, through a live audience. Um, I mean, Big Bang, Roseanne was the first, that was the first, I mean, every job you think as an actor is your big break, you know, whether that's true or not. But the truth is work begets work, no matter what it is, in my experience. Um, when I started on Roseanne, that 
was I, my family and I were huge fans of that show. I remember sitting on the floor of the living room and watching the first episode of the pilot with my family, and they related to it. Some I remember my mother turning to my father and saying, "It's like the writers are peering through our windows. This is kind of <laughs> creepy." So it was a big deal um, to to be on that show because I hadn't really, you know, in Chicago it's not cool to do theater. Like, you know, it's like the athletes and then the musicians way down the cool meter is you know, theater. So, uh, you know, I wasn't, my passion wasn't, wasn't, wasn't popular and I wasn't doing it for popularity, obviously. Um, but that was a show that people I knew and loved were fans of and to be a part of that was something special. And at the time, television was different. I mean, we, it was before we had 800 channels and streaming and whatnot, obviously. So we were bummed if, you know, if the numbers were under 40 million in viewership, which are like Super Bowl numbers now. Mm -hmm. That was pretty much per week where that show was when it was number one. And it changed my life. I mean, not only was I on a stage with people that I, I were heroes of mine, you know, Lori Metcalf had been from Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago, so I knew of, of her and her work and her legendary work and what she had left behind there. And... Well, she's still frequent, but you understand what I mean, the history that she had made there. And John Goodman, of course. And then Roseanne, and speaking of an amalgamation of, of, a, of a process that I put together for myself, like Rose from the comedy clubs, who just liked to wing it and really strived on that spontaneity in the live audience. John, who's a terribly disciplined method film actor. And Laurie from Chicago Theater. That was the best classroom I'd ever been in. And I was really intimidated being on that stage. And I think that that wasn't a role that the writers had written and went out and was submitted to agencies and people came in and auditioned. I'd done a TV movie, remember those, uh, with Roseanne. And she took a liking to me and she asked me to do one episode. It was like three lines and a credit tag. I think she was just trying to help me out. And that snowballed into this character that was there for five seasons. And I so the writers were learning this character as I was, and I think a lot of my intimidation really informed the character. I was really this kind of scared little rabbit in the corner, just kind of watching things and uh, being, you know, very probably sycophantic towards the, the other actors in the cast. So um, that was, and then off camera, because of how big that show was and the viewerships at the time, uh, I mean, your life was different the next day. It was really shocking. Signing autographs and running away from rabid fans? No, I wasn't, wasn't Paul McCartney all of a sudden, but you know, you were treated, I was treated differently at the taco stand that, that, I used to, that I went to every single day on the way home from work the next day. It was, um, and people say, well, you've been doing this for so long. That's naive of you to not you know, see that that was going to be part of the deal, part of the job. When you're seven, you don't. You don't do it for popularity. You don't yeah. do it for fame. You don't even do it for the money. You, you know, it's not like you got to make rent at eight. So it was really just for the love of storytelling. And yeah, that was naive because I was eight. You know, I did wasn't really so. There was a lot for me to learn during that time. That was that, and and some of it, I think I dealt with. Okay, I mean. Compared to some of the stories I've seen, I certainly dealt with it uh, uh, pretty well. Um, and, uh, you know, I just went, went home a lot during that time. Even, it's just a foreign reaction that people all of a sudden 
have to, even if when it's complimentary, it was putting me at a distance. That pedestal was farther when I wanted to connect. And I just didn't, even though I know that they, I knew that they meant well. And again, it's, it's a very difficult thing to, to talk about because it is all positive. But it can, even that positivity and those compliments can be alienating. And I wasn't prepared for that. And it's all good. It's all great. Um, but at that age, I think I was 16 at the time. Uh, so there's a lot going on anyway at 16, mm -hmm. trying to find your, 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 yourself in the world and socially and whatnot. And so it was, it, was, it was an interesting time. So is it fair to say that, you know, that culmination of career from theater to jumping to big time TV prepared you for Big Bang? Big Bang was, a, that's a monster in itself. The, the great thing about Big Bang and, and the success of Big Bang is two things. One, it was a very slow climb. It didn't come out of the gate, this phenomenon, like Friends did. Um, it, was, it, you know, it was during the writer's strike and they kept rerunning the eight episodes that they had. And for whatever reason, I was looking at the numbers during that time and they kept growing, even though it was a rerun that they had played for the third time that month and, and it just, it caught on, and this was long after the, we were on billboards and sides of buses for that first initial marketing push. It was like, okay, this is, the audience is growing and kind of finding this show as we're finding this show too, because the actors have to find their characters, the writers have to find the strengths of the actors and the stories that they want to tell. And there's always those growing pains for a new show, but it was a slow and steady climb, which is what I think for your own personal psychological well-being is what you want if you're going to have that type of success. And then the five of us had each other, you know. Um, like Elvis, always, Elvis said, you know, about the Beatles, they had each other during that time, um, which can be, like I said, a kind of scary, alienating time, even though what's coming at you is mostly positive by 99.9%. Uh, of the time is positive. So on Big Bang, um, on Roseanne, everybody had already dealt with that kind of fame because they were already number one at the time. I think that was, they were three seasons into the show. So I was kind of lagging behind and experiencing that kind of attention. Big Bang, we, we had each other to kind of lean on and, uh, and, and hide out with and yeah, go camping with and go on vacations. We really stuck, the first few years, uh, we really we stuck together very closely. I think because that's an experience you can only 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 you share. Friends cast can talk about that, and they have that very similar experience. But each one is going to be different based on the the people and the stories that you're telling. And nobody can entirely relate to what that time was except that that initial cast. It sounds so much fun. I know there's a lot of people who watch this show who are huge fans of that show. Oh, okay. um, can you tell us any fun stories that people may not know happened either behind the scenes or something that you had to go kind of extemporaneous? Well, I wasn't sure. I had, I'll give you, I'll go back a little bit before then. Uh, after Roseanne, I did quite a few movies, independent movies. I did a little bit of theater again. And then things dried up. I took six months off. And I hadn't learned the lesson that you grow cold fast in this business. I, I naively believe that whenever I'm ready, those doors will still be open, those, those options and 
opportunities will still be there. Um, that's, that's, that's rarely the case. And so I didn't work for uh, over two years. And at that point I thought, okay, I guess I was a child actor. Uh, I was at peace with that, but now what? And like I said, I don't have a diploma or a degree in anything, so what's the next step? Um, a friend of mine said, you really love design and decor, and why don't you do that? Why don't you open like a little boutique uh, design studio? And uh, I said, well, that's a saturated market. No, no, how do I even? He said, well, then find a niche market. Why don't you do like bathroom and spa design? Yeah, okay. Hmm. So, but I don't know anything about I said, if I go to uh, Wisconsin to the Kohler plant and learn plumbing, learn the plumbing of it all, will you and your wife bankroll my little boutique bathroom spa design studio? He said, yes. Hmm. So I went, <laughs> I went to Kohler in Wisconsin and started learning plumbing. And then um, I got a call to do uh, a play, an off-Broadway play in New York. And uh, went to, to do that. And then while I was at that, but I, I thought I, I, acting days were over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's fun, that lesson in me, for, because that, that led to, that off Broadway show led to my Broadway debut. And during that time is when Chuck Lorre called me and said, hey, we're kind of, this guy Bill Prady and I have this idea for the show. I knew Chuck a little bit from when he was on, when we were on Roseanne. Um, we don't even have anything written down yet, but as we do, can we send can we send faxes to the theater? I was like, yeah, sure, I'll read. You know, and so scenes started coming through. But um, that time, I think, you know, when you're that that time of those two and a half years when I decided to go to Wisconsin and learn plumbing, and I laugh about it every time because I, I, I was a terrible plumber. <laughs> um, it, it really. It taught me that when you're just banging your head against a brick wall to try to force something to happen in your life, it's just whatever you want to call it, the universe telling you that your energy is better spent elsewhere. doesn't mean you can't return to that brick wall with a sledgehammer later, but just take that cue and, and put yourself elsewhere where, where you're better needed. Um, and that kind of, which was difficult for me because I'm stubborn. And I'm 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 not competitive, but I'm I'm stubborn. Another good lesson, though, um, I'm hearing. Sometimes it's just a no for now. Yeah. Not yet. No, it's not complete defeat. Yeah. For the rest of your life. But you know it when just you're means you're required elsewhere right now. Yeah, but when you're in it, you think you know you hear the rejection, you hear the no, and you think I'm done, so you pick a different path. But that's also yep. actually a pretty good lesson, because you didn't just sit idle or feel sorry for yourself. You're like, you know what. All right, I got to pivot. What's next? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's an excellent lesson. You know, you, you pivoted, you moved your bones in a different direction, and you got also a, a really clear answer, which is plumbing is not for you. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. But sometimes it's a process of illumination, right? Sometimes you need to try it on and realize it doesn't fit yeah. to really know. Yeah. Which is excellent advice. And, some, and, and sometimes then be open to... Again, it's that stubbornness that sometimes gets in the way. Because when those pages for Big Bang started rolling in, I didn't understand. Maybe because they were out of context from a script, because they were just pages here and there, scenes here and there. Um, I didn't understand it at all, and I had to tell Chuck, "I just don't. I don't get it. I don't. I think I'm. I don't think I'd be good in your show. I. I. I it's just not my cup of tea." I oh, said, no, whole, I, "I said no five times." That whole math thing. 
the whole magic. <laughs> yeah, I can barely <laughs> spell physics. Never mind play a physicist. But I, yeah, I said no five. I finally, thank God, um, you know something changed. And he said, well, just we'll see. We'll do the pilot and we'll see what happens. And I said, okay. I said, well, that's well, that'll be great because that'll give my understudy his Broadway debut if I go do this pilot for a week. <laughs> we did two hundred. This is why I should never be a TV exec because I really didn't know. I didn't foresee any of the success that it, it had. Who does though, right? Um, no, that's a good point. You you really are, I think, um, hitting on some really excellent points, which is you really just don't know until you till you do. Yeah. Um, and you know, if if there was a playbook or a certain play that worked every single time, we'd all be doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. But the fact of the matter is, you know, um, the skills, the gifts the culmination of experience and talent and all that that you bring to a certain opportunity is everything that you make it. And Entirely. I mean, I think, you know, you, you kind of, you, you have to find the good in the, in the bad or, the, or at least the difficult. And uh, what point are struggles if, if you don't? Yeah. I mean, I, I often think about, I was forced to think about why... I might be good at something that someone else might not, and vice versa. And a lot of people come up and say, how do you learn all those lines? And that's the easiest part of the job as far as I'm concerned. But it forces you to consider, well, why am I okay at this? Why am I capable of this? And this guy or girl might not be. What is that in me? It's not training. Uh, so what, what, what am I really doing? And I think, and I've had a lot of conversations with other actors about this and performers in general, I think the difference between the two, someone who is capable of, of acting and someone who's maybe not, as, not so good at it, is the ability to behave as if everything is normal in a very, very abnormal, unnatural environment. To behave like it's just you and I when there's 1,100 people watching on Broadway. Like, it's this intimate. And I think that comes from growing up in difficult environments where it's kind of up to you to create a sense of normality when you're without one. And I, I think that's a very, very common thing in, with, with performers. And maybe that comes from, you know, something that you were bereft of in your upbringing or whatever it is. But what a wonderful result, you know, to be able to then take whatever that imagination is that was a survival technique at that time and turn it into storytelling that helps you feel selfishly and cathartically at times, but more importantly, shared with others that makes them feel and ask questions and feel things they weren't expecting to, feeling things that they're not necessarily comfortable feeling all the time. I mean, that, I remember when, now I'm on a tangent, uh, I had done a lot of musical theater first and then I was about eight or nine, and I went and I saw a production of uh, When Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That blew my mind. That was exciting, man. That was like, I knew you could, you know, make people tap their toes to fiddle around the roof and Pippin and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I didn't know you could, like, take an audience's jugular out with the, with the, with the Billy suicide. It was like, I'll never forget that blood-curdling scream from the nurse character from off stage. It was like changed my life forever. Wow, the stories that we can tell, the, 
the spectrum of emotions that we can hopefully stoke out of out of an audience. And that's why they that's why they, they come to hear stories. That's why I do. Yeah, and I also sense that acting, especially maybe your particular characters, I'm getting to know you a little bit right now on camera, is that you're an observer of life. Hmm. Uh, you're a very good observer. Thank and it, I would also guess that it requires a great deal of empathy. Uh, I hope so. I mean, I hope that's a virtue that I, uh, that I have. Like I said, I, I, I think if I wasn't an actor, I would, I would be a, a, a journalist. It's an element of acting in that I, 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 um, I, I do a lot of that in my, my research for characters. I go out and I talk to people. I, I'm not going to assume what the life of whatever character, you know, a dentist that lives in Ohio did is. Did you talk I to physicists talk... for the show? I did, yeah, yeah, I absolutely did. I talked to a guy named Dr. David Salzberg, who's a... Um, uh, a physicist, uh, a, a astrophysicist, and uh, well, I think he just runs the department of physics at UCLA now, and he then eventually became a, a consultant, our science consultant on Big Bang. What did you learn from him? I learned well, mostly I stole little bits and pieces, like little wardrobe ideas and posture things, but I didn't because that's what I, that's what I learned is that I can't pretend to think like these beautiful minds. You know, both Jim and Parsons and I learned this because we went to UCLA a lot together early on. And we can't pretend to think like these these geniuses. Yeah. Simple actor boys. Like what do we but we can understand how they feel in certain situations. And that was kind of once you kind of gave up I'm not going to learn, you know, I could I read as much Richard Feynman as possible. Like, I'm not going to learn this stuff for yeah. this job. Like, okay, to feel like I've prepared, to feel like I can relate, how do we, how, you know, and zero in on, on you know, kind of the underdog of the story, the underdog element of the story, the outsider element of the story. Um, but I learned also that there was every walk of life there in, in these students, you know, there were young, attractive girls that were students of physics. There were cool surfer dudes. There were, you know, it wasn't the the Revenge of the Nerds Halloween costumes walking through the, the hallways like a lot. I mean, the closest thing I had to an example of a scientist growing up was Beaker from the Muppets. So I didn't know what this world was, you know, and it, it, the diversity uh, in 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 the world of sciences really surprised me. I, I was I was shockingly naive to that. Talk about the story arc a little bit, you know. So it it is sort of a you know um, underdog story where you know this group of boys goes grows into a group of men and women, mm -hmm. and there's more mature content and more more mature discussions happening. Uh, how did you feel about it as an actor? I mean, were you able to draw from personal experience, or was that completely new, or is it like there was an episode? It was like episode six or seven, I think, because I I didn't think I would feel a lot of relation to the character at all. We're not similar whatsoever, which is good. The more a character is similar to me, the more uncomfortable I am playing it. I think that's a, a misconception that people have about performers is generally we're introverts. We need a mask to hide behind to be extroverted. Um, this kind of thing used to, I'm just now feeling more comfortable with it. To do anything as me, I don't like that at all. So <laughs> I relate with that. Same way. So um, 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't expect to to feel any sort of kinship with him. We were doing this episode that uh, a guy, a cool guy, kind of picked me up and 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 threw me out of like a Halloween party or something. It was a long time ago. I don't really remember, but I remember it really. It struck a chord in me of like being bullied like that. Okay, we're gonna. This character and I are gonna share some heartstrings. And how about your romantic relationships? Um, where did you draw from, you know, as the story arced on the show, you know, in your relationship with um, the other characters and the other? Well, I hadn't initially, Chuck had talked to me about playing Jim's role. This is long before they had met Jim. Um, and thank God, because Jim is, nobody could play that role like Jim. Um, but I asked to play the Leonard role because I hadn't gotten a lot of roles that traversed those, the heart, you know, I was like the best friend of that character or the gay yeah. assistant or something like that. So I, I saw that the storyline lines going that way, the will they, won't they, and you know, hopefully the, I, I wanted to, I wanted to be a part of telling those stories. Did I, did you ask me what I drew from in my life? Oh, I, I still, I'm still learning <laughs> in that area. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you learned from it, if, you know. Oh, Geez. Well, I hope in general, I, I, if if there's a trait that I hope I've, I retain from from the Big Bang role, I, I hope it's his patience, uh, his lack of stubbornness. Uh, Parting words for you know uh, other creatives. Mm -hmm. um, it could include actors or people being creative artists. I use that generally speaking. You know. Wow. I mean. I think like we, we hit on, you know, set your own goals. It's the only way that you'll, you'll win. And uh, make sure that they're, they're yours to satisfy yourself. And, and everything's a stepping stone, you know. It, uh, not every song you write needs to be a day in the life or something like, you know. They're all, they're all learning opportunities. And, uh, and yeah, the more you're supportive of your fellow, artist, if you want to call them that, then uh, it'll come back to you.